0: Uh, this morning we are going to be going to Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And I titled my message, The Paschal Lamb. Did I pronounce that right? The Paschal Lamb. And we'll get into what that means and just uh, as we go through the sermon here. Let's go ahead and begin by reading the word of the Lord. Then we'll have a prayer. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion... Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord hosanna in the highest and when he had come into Jerusalem all the city was moved saying who is this so the multitude said this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee this is Jesus friends that is Jesus who entered into the city the mount of olives from the mount of olives May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His Holy Word. Let us pray. My gracious Lord, we do praise You and magnify You. Father, as we enter into worship, Father, may our minds travel back to that day where You was entering into Jerusalem, Father. Lord, may our hearts be open to the Word that You have for us today, Father. May Your Spirit move upon us and and Father, God, just just help us to feel Your love. Help us, Lord God, to understand the tremendous thing that You have done for us. Lord, as we sang in that song, You opened the way. You opened the way to the Father for each one of us. Father, that while we were sinners, You allowed Jesus to die. Jesus, You were willing to go to that cross that we might be reconciled to the Father. We just give You praise and glory and honor. We thank You. I don't think we can say thank you enough, but we do thank you. And we pray again that your spirit would be in this place. Just move and touch each heart, Father. And may all that is done be done for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. What a glorious passage of Scripture. Most everyone knows that this passage of Scripture found in Matthew and Luke and Mark, it's ref- Referred to by most as the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry of Jesus. And when you really think about it, it's, it's not a, it's, it's a humble, it's a humble parade, if you will, Jesus entering in. If you were put in charge, if you were put in charge of preparing this parade that Jesus was to enter into Jerusalem, what kind of parade would you? Have organized? I don't know why this came into my mind this week. I don't know. I just what kind of parade would you organize? Would it be grand? You know, would you have Jesus, would you have had him ride into Jerusalem on a majestic, beautiful horse, the the biggest, most beautiful horse you could find instead of a donkey? The foal of a donkey? Would you have him wear the royal robe? Would you have a crown on his head? Would you have had the best musicians in the land lined up to play and blow their trumpets as he came in? I mean, if you're going to organize a parade for the King of Kings, you'd want it to be grand, wouldn't you? His entry may not have been as grand as something we may have planned. There was no trumpets sounding his approach. There were no heralds announcing his coming. His time on earth, His entire time on earth in the flesh, from His birth to His death, was a time of humility. You know, the planning really kind of seemed spur of the moment, didn't it? They're coming, He just tells two of His disciples, Go, go into the town next to us, and you will find a donkey tied. And He left the rest, They brought the donkey, he left the rest up to the multitude, didn't he? I believe the Spirit led them. You know, they laid their clothes out, some of them laid the branches out, some of them waved the branches. He left it up to the multitude. They were filled with excitement. The multitude, the crowd, was just filled with excitement because of all the miraculous things that they saw Jesus do. It was just shortly before this that He raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, they just were in awe. They were in great anticipation of what Jesus was going to do. But the problem is, they had a wrong idea of what Jesus was going to do. They thought Jesus was going to be that earthly king to deliver them from the Romans' authority. But that's not why He came. It may not have been a grand spectacle. It might not have been as grand as some of the earthly kings when they would go into a town. But this was actually the only time that Jesus planned and promoted a public praise and worship of Himself. He did not come to be hailed as an earthly king. He came as a humble king, one to serve and not to be served. He came with a purpose, a purpose that its end was drawing very near. Very near. Mark chapter 10 verses 42 through 45 says, But Jesus called them to Himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. He's speaking to those that believe in Him. It shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. He came to serve. He came to serve man. And He came with that purpose, to give His life. That is a soul, That is the main purpose that He came. To preach the kingdom of God and to give His life as a ransom for you and me, for each and every one. This morning I want to look at how this passage connects with the Old Testament, for one thing. I want to look at the timing of His entry into Jerusalem, and how Jesus had complete control over every situation in His life. Not necessarily in that order, as I sometimes often do. I'll start at the end. First, the control part. He said to those two disciples, Go into that village opposite you, and immediately you're going to find a donkey tied. And a colt with her. Loose them. Bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, all you've got to tell them, the Lord has need of it. Immediately He's going to let you take them. Could you imagine those two disciples going? Now, they've been with Him for three years. They're probably thinking, This is going to be awesome. We know it's going to be just awesome as He said it's going to be. I don't think there would have been doubt in their mind. I think they had been with Him long enough to say, okay, we're just going to enter into that city, we're going to go in there, we're going to look for a donkey, we're going to find it. And it was exactly as Jesus told them it would be. The man did ask, why are you loosening my donkeys? The Lord has need. He didn't have to give any other explanation. Jesus knew exactly where the colt was tied up. He knew that the man would ask. He knew all he had to, all they had to tell him. He knew every detail down to the smallest detail. My friends, doesn't that comfort you? That He knows everything. Just as He knew everything about that situation, He knows everything about you. That should comfort you. He knows everything about me. He is in complete control. He was always, always in complete control. He was never caught off guard. He had never allowed the religious leaders to trap Him mentally or physically with their words or with their actions. In John chapter 10, this is actually longer, I think, than my original reading, 27 through 39, Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. I'm going to pause there a moment. Again, there's that complete control. That too ought to comfort our hearts to know. The devil cannot snatch you out of his hand. The devil has no power and no authority over you. He cannot snatch you away, because Jesus and the Father have complete control. He says, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, speaking of himself, whom who sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. He escaped right out of their hands. My friends, Jesus is in complete control. Complete control. I love that. Because whenever we call Him friend, when we call His Father our Father, we know that He has our back. We know that He is in control of our lives. The timing of the triumphal entry. Why did it happen on that particular day. We need to look back to the Old Testament to see the timing of why it happened on that day. Of course, that also brings in the connection to the Old Testament. It is the initiation, I should say the institution of the Passover. Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And it shall... And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the house where they eat. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel to pick out a lamb for themselves. It was to be a lamb without spot, without blemish. It was to be a perfect lamb. And they were to bring it in on the tenth day of the month. And they were to keep it until the fourteenth day of the month. And on the fourteenth day, they were to sacrifice that lamb. As the Scripture just said, they were to apply to the doorpost in the lintel or their house. We're going to get into why. My friends, Paschal means Passover. The Paschal lamb was the lamb that was sacrificed for the Passover. Now there's lambs that were sacrificed throughout the year but only the lamb sacrificed at Passover was called the Paschal Lamb. My friends, of all the Old Testament practices and ordinances, none were more eminent and expressive than the Paschal Lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, That's telling you, purge out. Leaven represents sin. Purge out the sin out of your lives. Since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ is our Passover, was sacrificed for us. My friends, Jesus Christ is our Paschal Lamb. The Paschal Lamb offered in Exodus. It was not for a sin offering. It was a special offering. It was an offering, it was a sacrifice, I shouldn't say offering, it was a sacrifice for divine protection. Divine protection from the judgment that God was about to bring upon Egypt. We all have read Exodus, I'm pretty sure. Most have read anyway. And you've read of the plagues that God brought against Egypt. We know that, let me back up, the little history. We, we just spoke of Joseph. Joseph not too many weeks ago or months ago that Joseph sold by his brothers, wound up in Egypt and rose to second in command in Egypt and there was that great famine in the land. And Joseph's family, his entire family came to live in Egypt. But as it would happen, Joseph died. The Pharaoh that Joseph found so much favor in, he too died. So a new Pharaoh rose to power. This Pharaoh no longer looked favorably upon the nation of Israel. No longer loved them and adored them because they were the family of Joseph. And the family of Israel began to grow and to multiply greatly. So much so that the leaders in Egypt thought they were going to take over the land because there were so many of them. So they decided we need to kill the first, kill the young children so that they stop multiplying. But the Hebrews were so strong that the harder they worked them, the more they multiplied. And then of course we know the story of Moses. His mother placed him in a basket and he was spared and raised in the, in the palace. Pharaoh's own daughter raised him up. And that same Moses, I'm just going to make this story a little shorter, went off to Midian for 40 years, but he came back to deliver the children of Israel. And God said, go and tell him to set my people free. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he wouldn't let him go. So there was all those plagues that came against the nation of Israel. Ten plagues, but the last plague was the worst. God said that He would strike every firstborn male among the nation of Egypt with death. All the firstborn. Friends, that doesn't mean that it was all only little children. There could have been a home where there was a 60-year-old man, but he happened to be the firstborn. That night, he was going to be struck down. When the angel of death came through the cities of Egypt, that night, all the firstborn were struck down there would have been young infants who died that night. There would have been old men and everywhere in between was struck down that night. Every home that did not have the blood applied to the doorposts and the lintels, the angel of death went into that home and struck the firstborn with death. Could you imagine? Think about this. You have a young child He's six years old. He's vibrant. He's her firstborn. Healthy. Strong. All of a sudden, he just drops to the floor. No life left in him. Devastating. Can you imagine the wailing, the screaming, the agony in the homes throughout Egypt that Passover night? But imagine the peace Only for the Israelites. I'm not sure that they had complete peace because they're hearing, because their homes were dispersed among the Egyptian homes. They're hearing that screaming and that wailing and that crying. But God spared the firstborn in every home that had the blood applied to the doorposts and the lentils. That lamb. That they were to bring in on the tenth day. And they were to hold it until the fourteenth day. And then to sacrifice it to shed its blood. My friends, Jesus triumphantly rode into Jerusalem on the tenth day of the month. The tenth day of the month. The same day appointed in the law that the paschal lamb should be taken up and set apart. Reserved for the Passover service. Jesus knew as He entered into the city that day, in just a few short days, He knew that Friday was coming. He knew that He was going to be the Paschal Lamb for all mankind. Hallelujah! For all mankind. He knew. He knew that that same crowd that was saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, would very soon be crying, Crucify him. Not all of them. I'm sure that there were some in the crowd that were saying, Release Jesus, but the religious leaders went through the crowd and stirred up the crowd. But he knew that they would be drowned out. The blood that was applied to the doorposts to protect the Israelites, the blood of Christ applied to our sins. Applied to our home. This is our home, our earth suit. The blood applied cleanses us from our sins. He became our sin offering. 2 Corinthians 5, 20-21 Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. My friends, that's what it's all about. Being reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ. 1 Peter 1, 17-20 says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's works, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. There's that Paschal lamb, right? He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. How awesome is that? How wonderful that God, before the foundation of the world, before any law was given that would make man aware of sin, before time as we even know it, because it said, before the foundations of the world were laid, God foreordained, God saw. God knew. He knew before He even created man that man was going to sin. He knew that. That's hard for us to comprehend. It is. He knew that. It's hard for us to comprehend the wisdom, the, not, the omniscience of God, all knowing. You might wonder, well, if He knew it, why do He even bother creating us? Because He loves us. He knew that we were going to sin. Before He even made the foundations, before He even created us, He instituted that plan that Jesus Christ, that He would send His Son to be the one that would reconcile us, bring us back to Him. He determined it beforehand. He determined the remedy. He determined the cure of the disease of sin. Jesus knew every single prophecy concerning the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled. I mean, come on. He gave, right? He gave the prophecies. He was with God in the beginning. He fulfilled every single prophecy concerning the Messiah. The triumphal entry was another fulfillment of a prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout! O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Another prophecy. It was prophesied in Exodus 12:4. In one house it shall be eaten, speaking of the lamb. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. John 19.36 tells us, For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Now I might have to explain that. In the crucifixion, when they would crucify a criminal, when it would get near sundown, if they would go out to them and they weren't dead yet, they'd break their legs so they couldn't hold themselves up. But when they came to Jesus, when they crucified Him, He was already dead. So He did not have to break one of His bones. Back to the triumphal entry. Yes, the multitude was very jubilant, shouting, praising the Lord. But yet, it was still a humble thing. He was lowly, riding on a donkey. Now friends, I'm going to share this though, not about the triumphal entry. His second return. The second time He comes, my friends. He will not come as a lowly, humble servant. He will come as the King of kings. He will come to rule and to reign. My friends, every day, we might look at the world and think, wow, it is getting so crazy and chaotic out there. I wouldn't even attempt to guess how close we are But I can confidently tell you this. Every day, we are one day closer. Amen? We are one day closer to His return. I can assure you of that. And I can assure you, He will return because this Word tells us He will return. He is coming again. But He's coming to rule and to reign. Matthew 24, 30 and 31 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Does that sound humbly? No, it is not. He's coming with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. In Numbers chapter 10, It tells us the importance of trumpets and the functions of trumpets then. The priests were instructed to blow two silver trumpets for two purposes. For calling the community together and having the camps set out. In Nehemiah, when they're building the wall, they give them trumpets. They said, sound the trumpets and we'll gather, we'll join together while we hear the trumpets. In Nehemiah 4.20. I want to look up. You didn't have this, but I'm going to look it up and add it. Revelations 19. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Not the colt, the fault of a donkey, friends. A white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judge and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron." He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath, of of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is not coming back as a humble servant, he is coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. My friends, as Jesus drew near the temple, or drew near Jerusalem, He looked out over the city, and He wept. He wept over the city. And said, say, He said, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, that the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He wept over the city, Because he knew that his own rejected him. He wept because they failed to come to him, to believe in him, to have faith in him. They failed to trust in him. He wept because of their lost condition. My friends, there are many today that reject Jesus Christ. Reject him as the Son of God. Refuse to allow him to come into their hearts. There are many today that live with no concern for eternity. There are many today that live with no fear of God. Well, His Word has just revealed to us He's coming again. There's a day coming where that trumpet's going to sound. When that trumpet sounds and then clouds part and Jesus Christ descends on that horse and brings God's wrath with Him to roll with the rod of iron, It's coming upon those that reject Him. My friends, at that time, it will be too late. It will happen in a moment. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye. There will not be time then. As I've shared with the children downstairs today in Sabbath school, God has given us our lifetime. He's given us our entire lifespan to get things right with Him to repent of our sins, to believe on Him. That day will be too late. Now is the time. Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. If I know everyone here believes on the Lord. But if you're listening today, if you're listening months from now to a recorded message, please repent of your sins. We, the church, needs to weep over those that are lost, as Jesus wept when He looked out over the city, at those that were lost, those refused Him. My friends, He is the way and the only way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other way that we can be reconciled to God the Father but through Jesus Christ, His Son. By the blood that He shed, by applying that blood of the Paschal Lamb to our sins is the only way that we can enjoy eternal life with the Father when this world as we know it comes to an end. Friends, if you're listening, all you have to do, you don't even have to bow your head, but just pray. You could be driving down the road, please don't bow your head and close your eyes. Please leave them open. I mean, I didn't say that would be funny. But you can. You don't have to close your eyes. There's no certain way you have to do it. But you must repent. There is no forgiveness where there is no repentance. We must repent of our sins. Get rid of that leaven, as the Word said. Get rid of that leaven. And the only way we can do it is through Jesus Christ. Repent of our sins and we ask Christ to come into our hearts. To be the Lord of our lives. And the moment we do that, our names will be written in that Lamb's book of life. I urge you today, if you do not know Jesus Christ, invite Him in. This season that we call the Easter season, what better time, what better time to mend that relationship with the Father if you have been broken and separated from Him than this time. The time where Jesus gave His life for you and I. While we were yet sinners, as we talked in Sabbath school, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we can have life. This season, this is our hope. This is our hope of eternal life. I see I'm getting long again. <laughs> I'm pretending to do that. So I just urge you to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Invite Him into your hearts today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Because we don't know that we have a tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Amen.